Hey, Steve, you know what I just realized? What's that? That all futuristic cars and movies kind of suck. Like when a film takes place in the future, the cars, like how they're getting around, just they suck? Like, yeah. What don't you of, like? Think of the Johnny Cab in Total Recall. I liked the Johnny Cab. Yeah, the Johnny Cab's fun, but it's kind of lame when you really think about it. Would you really want to drive around in one? Probably not. And you, you know what? Okay, uh, cool cars. I really like the way flying cars were handled in The Fifth Element. Yeah, I like the spinners and Blade Runner. What else? After that, there's a lot of self-driving cars that aren't that cool. Yeah, I I, I really can't come up with anything else that's good. No. They're... Um. Oh, no, that was awful. I mean, things that come to mind are, you know, from uh, Minority Report, which was awful. iRobot, not great. Which really awful and sponsored. Yep. What else? What else was good? Not much. No. And you know what I think is the worst? Which one was that? Self-driving cars and a little film that we watched tonight called Time Cop. All those are by far the worst. Yep. Intro music. Welcome to the Out of Sync Podcast, America's longest-running podcast. Is that long in terms of how long we usually run the episodes before we cut them down? I think it's more just the longest-running podcast that we've been involved with. Oh, well, I mean, that you know, we're breaking new records every week then. Yeah. This is episode two? Ish. Ish. This is episode two of the Out of Sync Podcast, which is the episode where we drink, watch a movie, and drink and talk about a movie. Uh, I'm Steve Shannon. I'm Jonathan LeDuc. And today's film is a classic. Classic of the mid-90s. It is starring someone who... I, I, I don't even know how to describe the the epicness of this man. I, he's one of my favorite actors, obviously. Bruce McGill. <laughs> uh, uh, we're, we just got done watching Time Cop starring Jean-Claude Van Damme and Bruce McGill. The Muscles from Brussels. Yes, 1994's Time Cop, which stars Jean-Claude Van Damme, Mia Sarah from Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Bruce McGill from MacGyver, uh, as well as Animal House, uh, a few other things, and Ron Silver from Heat Vision and Jack. <laughs> That's the one you picked? Yes, it's my favorite Ron Silver movie slash oh. TV show. Heat Vision and Jack. That's fair. That's fair. Of course, this is out of sync where we drink continuously while both watching the movie and recording. Uh, and to challenge ourselves, um, also to uh, expand our own breadth of drinking knowledge, we try to pick beer, wine, uh, alcohol, uh, whatever we feel like drinking that night, as long as it relates to the film that we are watching. And John, why don't you tell us about what you're into today? Well, tonight, in honor of the muscles from Brussels, I decided to drink a couple of strong Belgians. What'd you get into? So I started... With a Chimay Grand Reserve, which is the Chimay Blue. If you're familiar with Chimay, they're a Belgian brewery, and um, I think they're a Trappist brewery, technically. Yeah, they're registered Trappist. Uh, they have different colors for their different styles of beers, and the blue is their strong Grand Reserve. It's a 9%. Uh, it is from, from Belgium. Oh, really? It's actually from Belgium. It's Bel a Belgian beer from Belgium? It's a Belgian beer from Belgium. No way. And my secondary beer after I burned through that bottle was the Delirium Tremens. And I have no idea how to pronounce the brewery. That it? It's Huyghe. H-U-Y-G-H-E. For a beer, that, for a beer H that I like a lot. H-U-Y-G-H-E. For anyone listening on a computer who wants to look it up, um, that's how you spell it. I'm not going to try and pronounce this. For a beer that I really like, and I've had quite a few of the Deliriums, I like the Delirium Noel a lot, and that's a good Christmas beer, actually. I've had the Noel. I, I realize I, I've never even tried to pronounce the brewery's name until just now. <laughs> For me, I was a little surprised when I kind of thought of this one, because I realized a lot of my friends who are getting into, well, not so much getting into, but getting off of drinking like Bud Light uh, getting into some of the bigger beers, some of the uh, more exciting beers. A lot of them are getting started with the beer that I chose tonight. 
which I did not choose based on any kind of theme, but more on a, a name, a little fun with some names here. Uh, it's the Wells and Young Banana Bread. Uh, specifically, it's called the Wells Banana Bread. Uh, and this beer, again, like a lot of my friends have been drinking it, and I, I realized I never actually had one. Oh, you've never had the banana bread. I've never had the banana bread it's, until tonight. It's a banana bread beer. It, it's exactly what you would think it is. It it's, smells like banana bread. It's exactly what it says on the tin. It really is. bottle. Um, so two things that's kind of cool about this. Uh, one is you have the Wells and Young Brewery, and but for whatever reason, half their beers are referred to as Wells beers, and half their beers are referred to as Young's beers. And I apologize. I didn't look up why or any of the reasoning behind that before doing this. I'm going to encourage our listeners to do some research on their own. And in the meantime, have a couple delicious beers. Oh, absolutely. Um, the second point I wanted to make was why I chose it. Um, and it gets to the name Wells. And uh, there, there's a famous Wells who... Uh, in honor of the time travel theme oh, of tonight's movie. So uh, in honor of H.G. Wells, who wrote the book Time Machine and subsequently coined the term Time Machine. Um, Wells, banana bread beer for me tonight. I think we did a good job tonight. With the choices? I think I like our beer choices well, tonight. When, when I told you what I was drinking, what you said to me just made me laugh, which is you were so glad. Or what was it? You were so glad that our reasoning for the choices has already become this obscure. Yes. I'm, I'm happy that we're not going crazy trying to come up with something that is really insane. Insanely close. We're already on, on the second-ish episode. <laughs> And we're already going to, that name kind of sounds like something to do with this thing. Episode zero, our test, which may or may not be online um, at any point in the near future. Um, I went completely off the rails and it didn't work out in my favor. Yes. Uh, I've so far, it's not true. I was going to say I've stuck to beer and that's totally not true because I did wine once (laughs) and that didn't stick go in my favor at all either. You know what? I'm going to attempt to find something not beer next time around but no promises there's a lot more beer to choose from i think right. in terms of styles and all that we'll see how it goes absolutely all right tonight let's talk about the movie that we watched i was really not excited for this i i remember time cop i remember seeing it a lot this is a movie really, that i've seen many times and i don't really I remember saying i love this movie it's such a great movie i, I remember it just being it's a movie that was on a lot yeah and it, it would run in like the, you know, the Van Damme marathons where you had like Kickboxer, Bloodsport, Time Cop. I'm also going to say it's probably not my favorite Van Damme movie. Okay. Well, before we get into plot synopsis, yeah. favorite. Favorite? I, well, hang on. I feel like everyone is either a Bloodsport guy or, or kickboxer, kickboxer guy. guy. I'm a Kickboxer guy. Okay. But I can totally see the Bloodsport. Okay. That's fair. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm right there with you. So there's no argument to be had okay. there. I apologize. Time Cop. Time Cop. Time Cop, 1994, directed by Peter Hyams, who is a name that I recognize, but when I actually look up what he's done... Not much. Not a lot of successful... Probably a lot of movies that made some money. I um, mean, it's it's when you say it, you're like, oh, okay, yeah, I, I remember hearing about that or maybe seeing it. It's like, oh, yeah, Peter Hyams, he did... And then when you try and think of it, I don't come up with much, but, I mean, he did 2010, which is... Arguably, probably... It's it's as good a movie as I think it had any right to be. Yeah. You're coming after 2001, which is one of the greatest movies in the history of cinema. Mm, Stay Tuned, which is a, a, a funny little John Ritter vehicle that I actually enjoy, but I'm not going to pretend it's a great movie. <laughs> Time Cop. Sudden Death, also a Van Damme movie. Which I was surprised. I, I would have thought with the way that this production came together... That he and Van Damme had worked together prior to this. Nope, they did two movies in a row, but this was the first of those two. And again, that surprises me with how this yeah. came together. The other half of, I guess, the oversight of the movie, I guess, would fall on the producers. One of which, one of which was is Sam Raimi. Sam Raimi, and we have no idea what he did, but he's clearly involved in a creative way and not just a producer name only. And clearly, uh, he impressed some people with his work on this because. They immediately let him uh, take the reins, rather, on a couple of Dark Horse projects, I'd say. Not Dark Horse in the sense of the comic book Dark Horse, but literally in the metaphorical term Dark Horse. Well, it's funny that you say that because Time Cop was a Dark Horse comic. I didn't mean to do it, and as soon as I said it, I'm like, oh, that's so wrong. Okay, 
They let him take the reins on a couple maybe questionable projects, not sure how this is going to fly type things, which ended up being Hercules' legendary journey and Xena Warrior Princess. So clearly some, he impressed some people. From a production standpoint, yeah. He's... But before... He, those were successes. But before Time Cop, again, he had nothing going for him except for Evil Dead. How did this movie come together, John? I don't know. I'm going to tell you why. Why is that? Because someone said we can get Van Damme in it. Boom. <laughs> you get Van Damme, you make that movie. All right, so Time Cop. Um, Time Cop is, tells a story, obviously, about a police officer who travels through time. Or a Time Cop, if you will. And we are introduced to him. It, well, let's start. The movie starts okay. 1863. Mm, the war up? between the states. The war of northern aggression, if you're from the south. <laughs> a Confederate caravan is transporting gold on its way to General Lee. In the pouring rain, there's a lot of pouring rain. Oh, in this I noticed movie. that. Yeah, there's a lot of pouring rain and very highly mixed rain sound to the <laughs> point where you have a lot of trouble understanding quite a bit of dialogue. And we hadn't even met Van Damme. And yet. we hadn't even <laughs> met Van Damme yet. So we discover that people in the pa- in the future are traveling through time and messing with the past. And we see one successful attempt in this Confederate gold heist. Which is then used as the springboard for a Senate committee. To form a commission that would police time. The TEC. The most uncovert covert operation ever. Yes. They make a big deal about being covert early in the movie, and then they spend the entire film walking around in their TEC uniforms that have... Uh, patches on both arms, badges on, yeah, none of Zero effort to make it look like we're trying to hide in the past or trying to be sneaky about going backwards in time. So we go straight from Civil War gold heist to 1994. There's two major time periods in this film, 1994 and 2004. Mm -hmm. Film was made in in 1994, so 2004 is... Hollywood futury, <laughs> which basically means mullets. <laughs> Everyone gets a mullet and cars. It came back around, right? Yeah, mullets totally came back That's around. That's what happened. That was the plan, and I'm not sure. I totally remember the, the mullet rephasing in 2004. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Lots of hockey hair. All right. So the second uh, instance that we we're introduced to the evils of time travel, as it were, uh, is during the stock market crash in the 20s. And clearly, there's an individual. On Black Tuesday. Black Tuesday. Thank you. Who is not worried at all not worried at all and it, it takes about five seconds for the audience to realize this man is from the future he is up to no good yeah he has a copy of usa today the most evil of newspapers and then we are introduced to, oh i'm sorry were we introduced to walker at that point yeah he comes you get a little bit of, of background all right let's... the audience is given just enough information to realize that this guy is okay Important. is Okay, so let's back not, that up. Not very cleverly uh, taking stocks and using them in the future. They could hide it a little better. I think our silent partner pointed out that she, he could have been shorting stocks and been making even more money. <laughs> but that's not what he was interested in. He is using a USA Today from 2004 to buy stocks in 1929 at their absolute lowest point. Well, to be fair, um, as you pointed out, it's going to be in 2004 when they're cashing these out. So he's figuring out how much money uh, he's going to be able to get away with. By using his plan is valid. It's just not very covert. Oh, no. No one understands covert in this movie at all. Which works to the advantage of our police, who immediately uh, show up in the form of Max Walker. Walker. Uh, played by Jean-Claude Van Damme. Who, who? We, who we have discovered has a pretty dark past. Ten years ago yep. in the present day i guess we can call it 94 uh 94 in 19 like i said two time periods 94 2004 he, pick which it, one you want to call he is present. randomly attacked his wife is killed he is basically left for dead yeah i wrote down the bad guy's plans at this point in in the movie it, it is their plan is shoot jean claude van damme blow up house don't check to make sure he's dead Step two is blank, <laughs> or rather, step, and then next step is profit? Question mark. Question mark. Yeah, no, the, the bad guy's plans are always back and forth be- because clearly 
um, our 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 villain knows what he's doing. Senator McComb clearly he knows what's up, but execution is just so horrible. He's surrounded by idiots. Oh, he's, he's hired muscle, and you could make the argument that he's hired muscle around him that doesn't really understand time travel for a purpose. Now, Maybe they're not smart enough to take advantage of it themselves, and that's why they want, he wants them around, because that way he's always in charge, and he doesn't have to worry about them getting too big for the britches and trying to make their own plans. Now, to be fair, we could also, because... Uh, in order to avoid making the time travel concepts too complicated for the audience, because let's face it, at its heart, this is just a big dumb action flick. With a lot of plot holes. So in order to avoid kind of those questions coming up about time travel, I mean, they obviously dumb it down a little bit, a lot of it. They basically do whatever the hell they want. Um, Back to uh, the 1920s. 1920s. This is when Walker learns that Senator McComb is a shady dude. Yeah, he learns it right away. I mean, they, they do not, you know, there's no, like, twists and turns in this. They lay the plot out for oh, you. Macomb, bad guy. Which then leads to a great scene where Jean-Claude Van Damme tells Ron Silver, our Senator Macomb, I know you're the bad guy. I just told the villain who can travel back in time and literally erase me, erase me from history that I know he's the bad guy. Maybe he was hoping that, uh, like the audience, no one would be able to understand what he was saying. <laughs> And therefore, he could just say whatever he wanted to Ron Silver, and Ron Silver would just nod and smile, just like the audience does. Now, that's great, Jean-Claude Van Damme. Do a split for us. Oh, what was your split count up to in this movie? Unfortunately, it was only two. Oh. But one was over, was across two counters, <laughs> while another man electrocuted himself with a laser-guided taser. <laughs> That's the type of movie that's, we're getting into. That's the favorite. That that sentence might be the my favorite sentence I've ever said. <laughs> um, all right. So here's your setup, folks. Time travel is possible. Shady Senator is using it to raise funds for his presidential campaign because he is, you know, he assured. really wants to be president, despite the fact that he is now already a billionaire, right? And clearly can do anything he wants via time he just travel. Really wants to be president. President is all he wants. And apparently his motivation for being president is so that he can increase disparity in the rich and the poor? Yes. What the hell? His plan is he wants, I think he says it'll be like the 80s, the top 10% get richer, the bottom 90% can move to Mexico so for I'm a sorry, better life. So I'm sorry, being a trillionaire all, at this you're, point, you're doing, a billionaire. being able to do whatever you want isn't enough. I need to... I need to make sure that the poor people suffer. What a douche. That's his entire reason for being president? All right. So how is he going to execute this plan? Well, it turns out back in 94, thankfully everything happens in 94. Um, Very convenient. We should point out he's not a billionaire when the movie starts. In, in the original 2004 timeline, this, you know, this movie has a timeline complication worthy of primer. <laughs> that in the original, we'll call it timeline no, alpha. No, people are going to be sitting here following this podcast it's with like paper and charts. It's not worth it's, it. If you're listening at home, don't bother. In the first original timeline, he is not rich. He is merely a senator. Merely a senator. Merely a senator, oh, which no. means he's probably rich. <laughs> and I should point out, into that in 1994, he gets he, cut a big fat check. He was rich enough to have invested in a very lucrative. S- microcontrollers, and then they buy they call him it out. Coldware. He has money. Yeah, he has a lot of money. Uh, he apparently doesn't have enough. He needs to be a billionaire. So he goes back in time um, to prevent him from getting bought out. To prevent himself from taking a check, and Jean Claude Van Damme has no idea what's going on. But he's going to show up and stop it. He's going to show up and stop it. He clearly has no idea what's going on. His solution is is mostly roundhouse kicks and bullets. So in, in this situation, his partner turns out to be a dirty cop. Surprise, surprise. She ends up getting left in the past. Uh, Senator McComb escapes, and he returns back to 2004 to discover everything's gone to hell. Everything has changed, which brings up the fact that we, we had a long discussion on right after the movie. No one seems to believe him that time has changed, despite the fact that they work for an agency that is about changing time and preventing changing time. You would think there would be a protocol for when a TEC agent comes back from the past and says, this is not how it's supposed to be. 
This you isn't how it happened when I left. This you think that would trigger something where everything stops and everyone goes, "Hold on, let's see what's supposed to let's be going see on." Let's 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 sit down and try and figure out. We nope. get some we get some scientists together. We get some guys, some psychologists, to make sure you're okay. Yeah. No, they're just like, no, nope. man, you're totally. You get some wrong. awesome one-liners from Bruce McGill mm-hmm. um, about being the best friend of Jean Claude Van Damme, and that's where you just. No one really believes him, but Bruce McGill somehow believes him. He's such a likable guy. And the other scientist, who goes by Ricky in the first timeline, but Richard in the second timeline. Who, everything's changed. Who I only recognize as Max Fennec from the X-Files, <laughs> which probably would have been around the same time as this. So he got a lot of work for a very brief period of time, and I've never seen him in anything else. Yeah, he gets back, and it turns out Senator McComb, Ron Silver, is now a billionaire and is now way ahead in the presidential polls. And apparently none of this matters, because in five minutes, we're just going to go back in time and try it again. Yeah. Which apparently no one seems to realize on the villain side that that's the way this operates. If you can change time, I can change time. I'm going to call that the Bill and Ted's bogus journey corollary. I think Bill and Ted did it better. Bill and Ted um, is, have, is, are, is brilliant in its weird little way. Bill and Ted are solid film. Both films are solid in their time travel. I remember a small little project we wrote back several years ago called The Most. And one of the articles I wrote for The Most uh, was the most ludicrously awesome or most uh, absurdly awesome time travel theories presented in movies. And one of them, of course, was... Bill and Ted. Bill and Ted. You know what I didn't write about in that? What didn't you write about? Time Cop. Time Cop. <laughs> I think you missed something big there. Did I? Not really. Thank you. This uh, is a movie full of full of plot holes where no one's motivation makes much sense. And everything is super convenient because we just get to go back to 94 again. Yeah, every time something goes wrong, you just go right back to 94. And in, in this case, he goes back to try and find his partner who was left for dead. Who is internal affairs. We should point out, he goes through partners pretty quickly. Oh, yeah. His first partner is the guy from 1929 who gets found guilty of messing with the timeline and trying to buy stocks. And me- Oh, can I talk about this for a second? Sure. If one thing changes in this movie, it's completely different. If you, instead of making uh, the internal affairs officer, you know, a double agent, a shady agent, as it were... If you just leave her as the partner for the rest of this movie, it's suddenly a buddy cop film. Oh yeah, it starts to set that up that that way, and then just and then it just goes right off the rails. (laughs) It doesn't like that idea. But anyway, she is alive, and somehow this is relevant because now we can get evidence. Well, she gets shot in in the first time they go to ninety four. Right. So the first time we see Jean Claude Van Damme travel back in time. He shows up so accurately in a man's office. The second time, they make a mistake, and he shows up miles away, landing in a river. Which just gives us some awesome time for some dialogue. Yeah. It's a good chance for some exposition. (laughs) So his internal affairs tag-along slash partner becomes a double agent. She gets shot by Ron Silver. For no particular reason. But because now she's like, well, you know what, he shot me. Maybe I will testify against him. This somehow presents an opportunity for us to get the bad guy. Yes. Except she dies two minutes later. When she sends Jean-Claude Van Damme to get her blood sample? Because somehow that's evidence that she exists? Yeah. I'm going to chalk that up to magical 2004 technology that we don't understand. Or... A convenient plot device so that he can go and find his, his evidence that he needs to go and contact his wife. Yes. <laughs> There's the subplot about Mia Sarah, his wife, being pregnant. And the audience knows this immediately because we're not idiots. <laughs> uh, it, Jean-Claude Van Damme it takes is... takes 10 years. It takes him 10 years to figure it out. And traveling back in and time. And it involves time travel... And literally finding a pregnancy test at the hospital that's labeled positive. <laughs> that we're, he is we, an we, awful... We can have a discussion after we get through the synopsis about convenient plot devices in this movie. 
because there's a lot of them. Yeah, and he is such a bad husband. Oh boy, we get it. We got to talk yeah. about that too. Anyway, um, so he goes back in time <laughs> again, finds his former partner slash double agent slash killed, shot by the bad guy. Finds her in the hospital. She agrees to. She agrees very easily to testify against Ron Silver, despite the fact that the first partner of JCVD refused to testify because he his entire family would be erased from history if that happened. She has no problem with this concept and says that she will. She has no problem. Just yeah, I'll come back and I'll testify, sure, even though not? no one knows who she is in the future. Right. It, it was made very clear that she But it's okay, because we can prove she exists, because we have her blood, blood, which was taken in 94. We have her blood. That doesn't make any sense. But what we have is now motivation for Walker to go and meet up with his wife, because he just realizes he has to yes, save her Yes, his now. partner gets killed in the hospital. Uh, if someone injects something into her IV. And when the nurse comes and finds Jean-Claude Van Damme standing over her dead body... Where she flat doesn't flatline until he comes over and looks at, moves her face over. Yep. Uh, the nurse comes in, and when any normal person would look to the nurse and say, "Who else has been in here?" He says nothing. I think he forgot English for a second, and just runs after the people who he thinks are responsible, and then clearly doesn't get them, and then decides to go to the mall to hang out with his dead wife. Uh, yeah. Okay, but here's the, here's the thing about this mall trip. He goes, he, he presents himself as, I'm here from the future, but don't tell anyone that I'm from the future and pretend you didn't see me. This brings up my favorite part of the movie, <laughs> is that no one can recognize Jean-Claude Van Damme, 10 years older, despite the only thing that's changed is he now has hockey hair. <laughs> He's got a little longer hair. He looks exactly the same. Uh, and no one can recognize him. His wife doesn't recognize him. His at first. wife, he, he, she recognizes his voice, and she turns around and says, "Who are you?" Uh, even then, though he looks exactly the same. And then, about two scenes later, in our big fight scene, A the bad, bad guys guy, don't recognize the him. The bad guy, he pops out, and the bad guy goes, "Who are you?" Even though he is the guy who he was sent to kill. Just you know, with longer slightly hair. longer, slightly longer hair. So. Let's wrap up this plot summary because it's getting out of hand. <laughs> Is it? I feel like we've done. I feel like we've gone through it pretty smoothly. Um, what ends up happening? Uh, he uh, saves his wife. He melts the bad guy. He, with which we will discuss the same manner cannot occupy the same place at the same time same space and he goes back to 2004 where everything is normal ish everything is normal. he gets back to 2004 and it seems like everything's back like the original timeline bruce bruce mcgill is his friend again rick is ricky instead of richard again he asks about senator mccomb and you know what's up with you know president you know or his presidential run and again no one freaks out by the fact that he apparently has changed history no one freaks out by the fact that he has changed history not only that but you say the name Senator McComb, and everyone immediately knows, oh, you mean that guy who disappeared 10 years ago? As if, oh, I've been waiting, I've been saving that. It's, on, it's been on the tip of my tongue, waiting for someone to mention Senator McComb. It's not like, there wasn't even a hesitation. It wasn't like, Senator McComb? Oh, isn't he the guy who disappeared 10 oh, no, years they ago? Just, oh, no, no, that guy who oh, disappeared. Oh, Senator McComb. Absolutely. What do you mean, Senator McComb? He disappeared 10 years ago. So apparently everything is all wrapped up in a nice little bow. At this point, we know that the wife, her life was saved. So what do we get to do now? We get to jump into our another convenient plot device. Which is the cars that have no windows. So that Walker can be surprised that his house has been rebuilt and his... And his, his wife and is alive. And the son, which he has no memory of, is 10 years old. Time cop. Time cop. I was surprised when you told me how much money this movie made in the box office. This is the highest grossing Jean-Claude Van Damme film ever. And it is it made $101 million dollars. In 1994, that is unqualified blockbuster. Now, I keep you know looking at the production history of this and saying, how did this get made? Who would have thought to greenlight this? Clearly, someone knew what they were doing. This is after Universal Soldier. This is after Jean-Claude Van Damme is a huge bankable star. 
which blows my mind. <laughs> Jean-Claude Van Damme at one point was a huge bankable star because my childhood Jean-Claude Van Damme is the guy who was in awesome B-movies. But at one point, he had a run of a few years. Universal Soldier, Time Cop, ends with Street Fighter, <laughs> where he is a huge star that you put him in a movie, people are going to go see it. Didn't quite work out with Street Fighter. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, it, it worked out for him, and um, well, it, it made a ton of money. Yeah. And you know what surprised me? It was successful. It was so successful that they the creative team reteamed to make Sudden Death. Yeah. It was the next Peter Hyams film was also a Jean-Claude Van Damme film. How much money did that make? I don't know offhand, but I'm sure it wasn't $101 million. I know that because obviously Time Cop was the highest. Well, here's the thing. I go into this thinking to myself, if it made that much money, clearly people came out of the theater. They were talking about this movie, talking about how much they liked it. But watching it here, I'm, I'm saying to myself, it's, it's a dumb action flick. It's fun, but I'm not going to go and tell my friends, oh, you got to go see Time Cop. This is the perfect watch it on HBO late at night movie. <laughs> Gr- like, uh, perfect. How old am I? I'm like 11 when this movie comes out. So this is the first perfect like 12, 13-year-old watch it on, on cable late at this night This is the, if this movie were to come out today, this would be the, I will wait for it to come out on Netflix movie. Yes, I would not go see this in the theaters. Today. It's fun. It's dumb fun, despite it, you know, trying to be this big, complicated time travel mess. It's just a dumb action flick. And it does great as that. What I don't understand is how this, this movie becomes $101 million. Like, it's, it's got to be one of the top grossing films of the year. If, if, what was the top grossing? Top grossing film in 1994 is Forrest Gump. Oh, wait, it, oh, geez. It had to have come out late in the year because it's not on the list. Oh, okay. Does it say how much Forrest Gump made? Because that's got to be. Forrest Gump made $329 million. Yeah, yeah okay. True Lies made 146 I mean, that. Well, okay, let's... If you, that's goes, Schwarzenegger when he was having his Van Damme moment. Yeah. Forrest Gump, Lion King, True Lies. Those are the top three. 94 Lion... How did I forget the 90... You know, I keep thinking Lion King's 92 for some reason. I apologize for that. So, I guess, but I guess the big question is, do you like this film? I mean, I enjoy it. I'm not going to call it a good film. Do I feel like I wasted 90-something minutes? I think it, you know, it's, it's not a long movie. No, it went by pretty quickly. It, it had the proper amount of Van Damage that I looked for in a film. It's 98 minutes long. You know what? I would say that I would absolutely say, let's, let's you know, do a Van Damme marathon. And this movie would absolutely be in there. But watching it by itself, I was... If it was on late night on cable, sure, why not? Yeah. I probably wouldn't go out of my way to watch this movie, though. Maybe do it with a double feature of Universal Soldier. There you go. And you get a little Dolph Lundgren in there. All right. So let's figure this one out. What would have made this movie better for you? What would have taken it up? I'm going to be honest. I think it's got kind of an interesting idea. I'd like to see it with a different actor. (laughs) Jean-Claude Van Damme is a little hard to understand throughout the film. And... His intonation, his word, his emphasis on the English language words don't really work for him. (laughs) He clearly learned the script phonetically. The man, I don't know if the man ever really learned English or if it's an affectation that they, they push him towards. But man, is he hard to understand. (laughs) All right. Things that... Again, I, I know we like to talk about you know things we'd like to see more of from this movie. You know what I'd want really want to see? What's that? I would like to see a movie that just follows around a bunch of these different guys. Because what I noted was uh, the briefing scene, the first time Walker comes back uh, from 1920s. They're sitting there and they're talking about what their daily tasks are. They have like four or five guys they got to go get per day. Yeah, they're they're coming up with a lot of temporal excursions by bad guys that's insane it seems like things could be going off the wall all the time and i feel like if you put this in the hands of a creative team who is good at non-linear storytelling I'm i th- i do have to say one thing yeah they did make a tv series of this i show, know but of it, this movie. but you know it was ba- it was based on like one guy who's basically like my adventures through time yeah i want to see something that's you want to see like an agents of shield no 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 like i want to see like 
completely off the walls. I, I want to see like this in the hands of like David Lynch. Whoa. Right? That would be... Uh, I'd like to see anything in the hands <laughs> of David Lynch. But no, but you know what I mean? Like where you're, you're having trouble following what's going on because as each of these agents is coming back, things just keep changing. And I'm, at no point is there ever equilibrium because let's face it, we're dealing with four or five different you know yeah. time criminals per day. I still want to see The Return of the Jedi by David Lynch and that's never going to happen. <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, uh, Disney's got you know the rights to this thing now and, and David, David Lynch. Lynch isn't working on Twin Peaks anymore. Oh. oh. Mm. Yeah. Sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. I got a little sad there. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I mean, what, what would you like to see more of from this movie? Well, I think Bruce McGill is, is fun. I'm kind of with you, and I want to see a little more day-to-day. I want to see Bruce McGill just dealing with crap all day. Like, Johnson went back to 1736, and damn it, I think he screwed up. And now we're all speaking French. But again, like... Luckily, Jean-Claude Van Damme speaks French. <laughs> but in, I, I feel like in this version that we're coming up with now, there are those protocols in place where an agent comes back and says, everything's screwed up, and people believe him. Yes. Uh, hey, when I left, we all spoke English. That's a problem. Okay. Let's, uh... And then you've got, you've got a team that you call the cleaners. You send them <laughs> back in time. They clean up the messes. Who is in your cleaners unit? Oh, who's in my cleaners unit? Mm-hmm. Well, obviously, you've got um, Harvey Keitel. Okay. Harvey Keitel, because he just basically plays the wolf from Pulp Fiction. He comes <laughs> in and he cleans it. Yep. Um, Paul Rubens as your comic relief. Okay. I'm just throwing out names at this point. <laughs> See, I got a team. Okay. Let me hear it. All right. Matthew McConaughey. Okay. Um, <laughs> Richard Dean Anderson. I like. Um, and then... Uh, I do want to see Richard Dean Anderson and Bruce McGill again together. And then Clive Owen. Oh, Clive Owen. I want Clive Owen, like, via Sin City Clive Owen. Okay. All right. Just that kind you of... Got a, you got a really good reason for this, or is it just because you, you like that particular Clive Owen? I like that particular Clive Owen, and you know what? I really am a big fan of Children of Men, but I feel like that Clive Owen won't work in this situation. I was going to say Children of Men Clive Owen might be fun. <laughs> kind of a despondent ex-revolutionary who's decided that he needs to just, uh, I guess I'll go and but clean I this I up. But I like this, the cleaners. It's the TEC Jedi, all right? Yeah. The guys who know you can't go back in time with future weapons and like giant gold logos that say you're from the future. Yeah, they actually have a, they have a wardrobe. And when they're going back to 1960... They put on freaking 1960 clothes. The guys who have to clean up after the morons like Max Walker on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, he seems like a really bad choice right? for this enforcement agency. He goes and he just beats people up and introduces martial arts that are not, are not existent in 1929. But this, this brings up a good point, which is there are a lot of self-aware moments in this movie. And one of them is uh, our boy McComb pointing out like... There's no reason for you to be kicking everybody. And that's just one of these several yes. very self-aware moments in this movie. Early on, there's a, there's a comment about Jean-Claude Van Damme not speaking English very well. But no, I, mean, there, there, I didn't write much, many of them down. I wish I had now. But if you, go through, if you do end up sitting through this movie, you, you'll realize they know. They're not trying to pull the wool over your eyes. They know this is a goofy action film. Yeah, the only thing I would have liked them to reference more was the fact that Jean-Claude Van Damme will never cover up his forearms. <laughs> I, I can't pick on him because I have my sleeves rolled up right now. But for whatever reason, it doesn't matter whether he's in his TEC uniform or if he's sitting on the couch at home. He's wearing a winter's jacket. Right. It is pushed up to the elbows. Jean-Claude Van Damme's forearms cannot be contained. Which, again, not a big deal in this movie compared to what I'm going to point out now, and I wanted to talk about for since the beginning of this, convenient plot devices in this movie. I mean, when you're doing a time travel movie, you have to set forth some rules. You also need to really be in control of what's happening when, or else it just seems overly convenient. In this movie, everything seems overly convenient. <laughs> I mean... The two that are, you know, the, the obvious ones are he 
just happens to, you know, find his wife's pregnancy test when he conveniently travels back to the day that, or the day before they get killed to stop something that was totally unrelated. It reminds me of Back to the Future where they make a, a <laughs> they give a little lip service to the fact that everything seems to happen in 1955. Everything happens like 10, or, or 50, how many years? Like 30 years, 30 years apart. apart. Right. And Doc Brown makes a, makes a thing. Wow, it must be some really important nexus in the time-space continuum, or it could just be some huge coincidence. <laughs> Given a little bit of lip service. On the other hand, in Time Cop, everything happens on one day. All in this, in this day where his wife dies. Everything happens in 1994 on one day. No one seems to even notice that. And you know what really surprises me? He goes back. He takes, the, the first time they go to 94, he takes a look at his, his oversized PDA. Which was very futuristic, probably, in 94. And completely voice-driven. Oh, very true. And he looks at the date. There is not a moment of hesitation on this man's face. Kind of like, wow, this is the day my wife dies. This is the day that my wife died. And there, he's not there, even It would be way here. more awkward than that. I mean, his, uh, his, his, um, yeah, his, his internal affairs tag-along is referencing changing the past. And he's just trotting along like, no, we can't do that. No, that's nope. against the rules. On the day his wife dies. Which is brought up multiple times. He says it as they're doing this mile-long hike to where they were supposed to land. She asked him, don't you wish you could go back and change that? And nope, can't do that. Basically. It's the same day. It's the same goddamn day. Except, show me a little torment, man. Except Come on. he should have... At some point, he should have realized the reason his wife died is because people from the future went back to change it. In other words, the reason your wife died is the exact reason... The exact reason you have a job. Your job is to stop that from happening. This one's a freebie, man. Yeah, just take it. Do it. At no point did it ever occur to him like, wow, a bunch of dudes with mullets showed up with future guns. Hmm, maybe they're from the future, because in the future everyone will have mullets. In 2004, he should know that. He's got a <laughs> mullet. Um, convenient plot device that I want to point out, uh, number two, there's three. Uh, number two, cars with no windows. Yes. And it's for no reason. Not only that, cars with no windows, cars that look like they're made out of Legos. They're <laughs> blocky as hell, but they still have spoilers. <laughs> because aerodynamics? Aerodynamics. Sorry. Not, they didn't understand the concept of aerodynamics. These cars did not look cool. Um, but why do we have windowless cars that drive themselves? For no other reason than for the last little plot twist. Which is it isn't... a twist? He comes back pretty much knowing he saved his wife's life, doesn't he? I'm not sure. It, it's treated like it's supposed to be a twist. I don't think the... As an audience member, I don't think I ever doubted the fact that his wife was alive. She was shot. So was he, and he was still alive. Yes, but he had a bulletproof vest. Oh, yeah. And he fell off a roof. Yeah, there was that. But he's, you know, Jean-Claude Van Damme. He's Jean-Claude Van Damme. For no other reason do these cars have windows other than it can drive him now to his rebuilt house that is no longer exploded. Voice controlled. Everything in 2004 is voice controlled. As we know, having lived through 2004, Absolutely. everything was voice controlled. <laughs> it was uh, a short-lived trend, but it, it happened. All right. Convenient plot device number three, and we're going to spend some time on this one. Apparently, there is a consequence of going back in time and running into your former self. Same matter cannot occupy the same space at the same time. So if you touch your former self, you turn into a ball of goo. Yeah. And it's not like one of these super crazy things like you're erased from history because the time-space continuum can't handle it. No, you just kind of... You turn into 1994 CGI. <laughs> Which, to be fair... Well, maybe this was an updated version. I remember it looking a lot worse the first time I saw this movie. I'm pretty sure this is how it looked. It didn't look good. Okay. Special effects in this movie, okay for 1994. Yeah, I mean, not a ton of effort put into them, but again, it was... It's a solid, big-budget blockbuster. This is post-Jurassic Park. Oh, there's no that. excuse for this, then. Eh, there's an excuse that they probably weren't willing to spend Jurassic Park money. Good point. They spent all their money on roundhouse kicks. <laughs> um, so they, they, they mentioned this same matter can't occupy the same space thing like three, four times. Yes, it, if, if they keep saying that exact phrase, as if that phrase is some sort of magical talisman that makes the audience forget that 
how things work. <laughs> so, and clearly this is going to be the key to defeating our bad guy. Otherwise, why would you keep repeating it? Right? Yeah. So, but, I'm, I'm going to shake your hand right now. Yeah. So, at the audience, and our hands are occupying the same exact space, no right? No way! Wow! Um, no, they're not. No, no they're, that's, that's not they're, the way they're physics works. touching. Yeah. They're not really... My hand didn't phase through your hand. No. I'm pretty sure they stayed as separate things. Those atoms at no point ever fused together. They never occupied the same exact space. Okay, that that's one thing, just physics-wise. Yeah. Can we talk a... biology-wise? Okay, the fact that same matter. Well, your skin cells replace themselves, what? Once every couple weeks? Yeah. Yeah? I mean, I... I... Yeah, no, it doesn't take 10 years, that's for sure. So let's ignore that. Okay. Let's ignore the fact that same space doesn't make any sense. Let's ignore the fact that same matter doesn't make any space. And let's talk about the fact that he throw Ron Silver is thrown into older Ron Silver via Jean-Claude Van Damme. What was younger Ron Silver doing at this final fight scene? Jean-Claude Van Damme sent him a note to trick him to come. Because we can't just shoot older Ron Silver? No, no. we can't do that. So, um, we have to defeat the bad my guy. Favorite, the most crazy. Way if possible. you actually pay attention to that scene, he throws young Ron Silve towards old Ron Silve, and uh, you know what goes right through him? The gun first, which doesn't make any sense even according to the rules. He ends up the gun goes through his body. Shouldn't he been able and to then push he melts. him with the gun? Yeah. I'm like, don't touch me, bro. Yeah. No. No, he doesn't. He's, he melts the, the second he's within inches. Can we also talk about that this is a terrible plan for many reasons. One, why don't we just, sh again, shoot older Ron Silver. Uh, two, he gets his wife shot in the process. Yeah. I mean, she's not dead, but again, like... Being shot is no picnic, that, I'm that sure. sucks. And it all relied on two things. One, younger Ron Silver showing up at the house... And just being like, oh, what's up with this big gunfight that I'm just walking into? Her. Seems like a plan that A, wasn't necessary, and B, was very lucky that it even worked. Because it all hinged on also his wife noticing that he was counting down with his fingers. Well, that's obviously because his wife is constantly looking down at his crotch. Oh, and his hand was by his crotch. His hand was by his crotch. Oh, well, of course. That, that was, if you're there was no failure. If you that, have then. a gun to your head and your future husband is standing 10 feet away from you, the first thing you're going to look at is his crotch. And make sure he's not counting down make with his Make sure fingers. he's... He may, if you want to know if he's counting down with his fingers, you, you got to look down at his crotch. Now, here's the thing. She just happens to know, hey, you know, like, I'm going to do something, or you should do something when I hit zero? Yeah, so you're counting down. Counting down means what? And for your efforts, you're going to get shot in the shoulder. Sorry. <laughs> Have fun. See you in 10 years, or I won't remember anything that's happened in the past 10 years. And again, these are like the three major things that we pointed out. There's a, there's a couple little more nitpicky things that aren't even worth the time. This is a plot-holy movie. A little bit. A little bit. So yeah, as far, as far as time travel stuff goes, plenty of other stuff that I would recommend watching instead. I mean, obviously, the Terminator films. I would start with Terminator 1, which is... I'd say, I will make the argument that the first Terminator is a perfectly great self-contained time travel movie. When you introduce ter Terminator 2, it gets a little complicated. You kind of have to gloss over the fact that there's some plot holes introduced by... But it all comes down to the same thing, which is you're not going to change the future. Ex well, Terminator 1 is all about you can't change the future. Terminator 2, in isolation... Oh, that's, is entirely know, about no, how right. you can change the future. Terminator the second time around, you're allowed. Terminator 3 Plus is all about how you also still can't change the future. Well, no, I think Terminator 1, they, again, like, no matter what you do, things are going to happen the exact same way. Terminator 2 is like, no, totally, you can change them. Terminator 3 is, but it's going to come around and bite you in the ass. Yes. And then we're going to see what happens with this new one, this Terminator, this... Well, there was another one in between, by well, the way, but that's being count. ignored. Yeah. The McG Terminator Salvation. So there's another one coming. Terminator Genesis. At the time of this we'll recording, see hasn't what happened with that and how it falls into that. You can't change it. Maybe you can change it. Nope. Just kidding. We'll see how yeah. it falls. We'll see. I'm looking forward to it actually. Again, I, you know what? I am cautiously optimistic. You know what? I'm probably gonna watch it on uh, Netflix. Or if I, this was '94, I will wait for it to come out on cable. <laughs> 
Yes, I will travel back in time. I will watch this as a 13-year-old on cable. All right. Well, let's wrap this up. How do we want to wrap this up? Well, we are, we did some we did some recommendations. Uh, we didn't check in with the silent partner. She's so, thumb she's sideways. Silent. Sideways thumb. All right. So I guess it's yeah. Eh. Yeah. Eh. <laughs> I would admit I do enjoy this movie. I enjoy it. Not a good movie. <laughs> Not good at all. I would totally recommend it be included in any of your Jean-Claude Van Damme uh, marathons, which you may watch with your friends, uh, partaking in uh, adult beverages, as we do when we record these. It's fun with a strong Belgian by your side. Or, you know, with any beer that makes fun of time travel in the most obscure way possible. That's great. So, watch Time Cop, but with the aid of alcohol. (laughs) Uh, so many better Jean-Claude Van Damme's movies to watch. Yeah. Um, it's, it almost saddens me that this is the highest grossing Jean-Claude Van Damme film. But yeah. How do you want to wrap this up? Well. We, we never do actually have, have found a successful way of doing this. I mean, we do have, we should probably plug the fact that we have an email address. Okay. Out of sync podcast at gmail.com. If you're wondering, uh, Out of Sync Podcast is a production of Shellback Media, LLC. You can check that out on shellbackmedia.com. Thanks for listening to Out of Sync Podcast. Uh, Join us next time where we'll be watching more movies and drinking more alcohol. Thanks for listening, everyone. I'm Steve Shannon. I'm Jonathan LaDuke. This is Out of Sync Podcast. Have a good night. Probably going to cut out the have a good night part. Well, then, I ended on a high note, though. I ended on this is Out of Sync Podcast. We said thanks for listening to this Out of Sync Podcast. What if it's not nice?